We took a break last week to spend that time paying tribute to mothers, godly mothers. And now we find ourselves back in the series, Oh No He Didn't, looking at His rebuke. So if you would, as it's shown on the screen there, open to Matthew chapter 23, that would be great. Or flip your phones to Matthew 23. Before we read the text this morning, let me give you just a little bit of a, hist- of a historical background where this scripture falls in, in the Bible, in Jesus' timeline of his life. Let's kind of set the stage for a moment before we dive in and read that. In, in Matthew chapter 23, this takes place um, towards the latter end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's now in Jerusalem. He has already entered in. Um, he is uh, he's preparing, really, to go to the cross. Uh, but before that happens, he really pulls back the curtain on the religious elite of the day. In fact, the two that are mentioned here are scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees were uh, the religious teachers. Actually, the scribes were, were considered to be a higher-ranking uh, religious teacher, and the Pharisees came uh, from the scribes. But they were people who uh, were very rigid in their obedience, we would think, to the law. They, they were teachers of the law. They understood the law. Um, they were very regimented in their life. They, they did, very, uh, did their very best to try to keep the law to the utmost degree. And what we see is that Jesus comes to these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees, and he gives them one of the harshest rebukes that we can find in all the Gospels. He uses words like blind. He calls them hypocrites. He refers to them once as a brood of vipers and even children of hell. Those are words that have been reserved, it seems, throughout all of Jesus' earthly ministry for this moment. So I want you to just consider this for a minute. This would be like uh, someone taking on the professor of an Ivy League school. That that would be the equivalent of what we have here in, in terms of taking on someone of authority. This would be uh, like that, that Jesus literally saw a flaw, saw a problem, and went and addressed it. And it didn't matter who it was, Jesus addressed the issue harshly. And in Matthew chapter 23, he pronounces eight woes. We're not going to go through all of them. But for those of you that don't know what a woe is, let me remind you that whenever you're reading in the Bible and you see that word woe, W-O-E, you need to woe, you need to slow down, stop, and really understand what that word is there for. Because a woe literally means this, that if your character or conduct, if your action does not change, there is judgment or condemnation that is sure to happen. So really a woe is, is a warning to those who are acting in a certain way to stop it. It's like what we do as parents. We give our kids woes, right? We, we warn them that if something doesn't change, this is what they can expect. So the woe is really a demonstration, if you think about it, of God's long-suffering and His mercy wanting to warn before He brings the discipline or, in some cases, the condemnation. But what we have is in these eight woes, 
these eight different pronouncements that he places on them, really it can be summed up in two of the woes. The, the verses I wrote up there for you, chapter 23, verses 25 and 28, he deals with eight different areas in their life, but it can really be summed up as the, what the seed problem is in verses 25 to 28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Let me stop there. If we just look at this historically, what a testament this is to the state of of religion, if you will, in Jesus' day. That Jesus would take it upon Himself to pull back the curtain and reveal the heart, reveal the contents, the wickedness, uh, the rottenness that was inside the heart of those who were the teachers, the religious teachers of the day. And you may ask yourself this morning, why in the world did Jesus reserve, it seems, the word blind and and hypocrite, and brood of vipers, and child of hell. Why would Jesus come so harshly against these men for this action? And I'd have to tell you this, that Jesus dealt so harshly with these men and with their action of hypocrisy because hypocrisy is one of the great hindrances to the kingdom of God. It is, it, he, he addressed it harshly because it is a harsh reality in, wor, in the world. Guys, when people find out that I'm a pastor, and they find out where I, where I pastor, it, it's always been this way. If I invite them to church, do you know what one of the major reasons why people will say they don't want to go to church? It's not because they don't believe. that Some of them don't, but that's not the number one reason. It's not that the air conditioner's on too cold. That might be a reason, but it's not one of the major ones. Guys, what I've heard in the ministry for 18 years as the predominant reason why people don't attend churches is because they say that, there are a, that that is a church or a bunch of hypocrites. My pastor had a little saying that if somebody said, I won't go to church down there because there are too many hypocrites, he would say, well, there's always room for one more. Come on. There's a lot of truth to that. You know, for those of you, when you found out that I was teaching on hypocrisy, you probably thought, well, I know a lot of people that need to hear that. I hope you see the irony in that. Jesus was addressing it, guys, because of this. Let me tell you, honestly. Hypocrisy in regards to kingdom work has torn churches down, has broken witnesses and testimonies, has left families, and reputations in shambles. Hypocrisy is an issue that needs to be addressed. And you know what? Here's the great news. Hypocrisy is not just something that needs to be addressed, but hypocrisy 
is something that can be remedied. You see, what is hypocrisy? For those of you that may not know that word, it really means to play a part in the sense of acting. In the theaters of the Romans and the Greeks, it was understood that a hypocrite, in a sense, was the person that put on the mask to play a part that they were not. That person was really not one of Shakespeare's, in a sense, one of Shakespeare's characters. He was really a person who was playing the role of somebody else. And what Jesus is speaking about is in the religious sense, in, our, in a Christian sense, in a very real sense that this person is unsaved, has never been converted, is not a Christian, is not a follower of Christ, but they have placed this mask on themselves to appear as though they are. That what they are revealing, what they are demonstrating, what they are showing to everybody is not reflective of what is truly in their heart. Now, don't misunderstand me. We all sin. As we spoke about in the deacons meeting this morning, we all sin, but we sin differently after we're saved. And if you think about it, you may say, well, pastor, I, I, when I come into this church, I, I don't really let my real freak flag fly. I mean, I don't really let people know exactly who I am. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about acting as though we never sin. I'm not talking about a Christian who may have had a, a really junky morning and you walk in and you smile. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being a lost person who has never been converted, who has never started a relationship with Christ, but on the outside, you are trying your very best to deceive people, to make them think that you are. Hypocrisy has left churches, witnesses, testimonies, reputations, and families in a path of ruins throughout centuries, time and time and time again. What was the problem? Jesus makes it very simple. He doesn't use this great, great deep teaching that none of us can understand. He actually uses a very simple term that everybody from the youngest to the oldest could be able to grab a hold of the message. Jesus, the master teacher, tells us in verses 23 through 25, here's the problem. You clean the outside of the bowl while leaving the inside dirty. Jesus using this word picture that you have this bowl and this bowl represents your life. And Jesus breaks it down so simply to say to these religious leaders and to speak to us. He says the problem is that you're only cleaning what's on the outside. You're only, you're only whitewashing those tombs to make them look beautiful while on the inside they're full of dead men's bones. You see, Jesus addressed their heart. Their heart was what needed to be changed. Their heart was what needed to be cleansed. Not, not the outside. They'd gotten their priorities wrong. And if you think about it, the hypocrite always gets their priorities wrong. The hypocrite is focused on the external while God is focused on the internal. The hypocrite is more concerned about what people think while God is more concerned about what we think about Him. Everything in it is backwards. And Jesus here addresses it in very simple terms. You have a bowl. 
you use this bowl to eat out of, but rather than cleaning the inside, which is the most important part of the bowl, you cleanse the outside so that everybody that sees the bowl may think it's clean. They will see the clean outside and assume that the inside is clean, and Jesus says it's not. He comes to them with harsh language with a stern, piercing rebuke, and literally pulls back their ribcage so everybody that's around can see their heart. He pulls no punches. He makes sure that the issue of hypocrisy on any level is dealt with. And you know what? He will pull no punches with us. He will not speak in soft, tender terms when it comes to hypocrisy in our heart. He will speak as a roaring lion. He will speak in very definite, sure terms about the condition of our heart because of his love for us and the knowledge of the destructiveness of hypocrisy. Maybe as a believer, it's not hypocrisy. Maybe if you're in here this morning, maybe you're hearing that word hypocrisy and you're saying, wait a second, how do I, how do I justify that with me? Because if you are a believer, you're not lost acting like you're saved. Your issue might be that you're saved and you're acting like you're lost. Rather than being a hypocrite, I would say that you have a problem, friend, with an inconsistent life. And just as hypocrisy has laid waste reputations, families, and churches, so inconsistency in the life of the believer has done the same damage, if not worse. The problem was hypocrisy. They played a part, focusing on the outside of their life while not giving attention to the inside. What is the solution? If the problem is revealed as simple, so is the solution. But the solution is not just simple. Simple in context. Simple in understanding, maybe not so much in application. Notice what he says in verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, notice this carefully. First, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish. What does he say to do first? Cleanse the inside. Take care of what's in here first. But then what happens? that the outside of them may be cleaned also. Guys, Jesus makes it clear in this teaching that if you want a clean bowl, if you want a clean life, it doesn't begin by washing of the flesh. It begins by a renewing of the heart begins on the inside and then jesus says if you cleanse the inside of the bowl the outside will be clean also it's almost as though he redefines our concept of cleanliness we would think that cleanliness would would involve both the washing of the inside and the outside but jesus here changes our thought concerning the cleanliness of bowl or as i would like to say jesus changes my concept of dish doing Because here he is saying, and guys, husbands, when you do the dishes, just clean the inside. And if your wife gets upset, tell her that's what the word says. 
It's clean. Mama, look at this. I did the inside. Jesus said the outside's fine. Yeah, unless you eat on the outside, which if you do that, you may be eating outside. Guys, here's the thing. What Jesus is telling us is reminding us is it is true. It is exactly true what King Solomon said in the Proverbs, to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. You see, Jesus didn't just go to the nut, the grain, the seed of the problem when he was dealing with hypocrisy, for which all of these eight woes come from, for which all of of the issues of their life came from. He dealt with the very heart. And you know what? If you think about it, as I've said before, if that true headwaters are not pure, then none of the rivers or tributaries will as well. You see, guys, here's a real fact for you. It is so, it requires so much work to be a good hypocrite. It really does. Because you see, sin does not come from our hands. Sin does not originate in my tongue. Sin does not originate through my outward extremities. Sin originates in my heart. And if I want to be a hypocrite and I want to put on the best possible face I can for the purpose of fooling other people or just getting by or, or, or flying under the radar, if I want to try to cleanse the outside while never cleansing the inside, what I realize is that it's going to be a lifestyle of continually making sure that my mask is straight. I'm constantly going to have to be looking at making sure that none of my sin is coming out from under my long flowing robes and that nobody's going to be able to see that my phylactery is just not right on my head. I'm going to have to constantly make sure that all of my lies match up and that what I told you matches up with what I told you and that even though I have all of this pressing sin within me, I'm trying to pull weeds in this flower bed of my soul that keep growing and growing and growing and it's exhausting. In order to be a good hypocrite, you have to be out of your mind. You're tired of the lies. You're tired of the deceit. Because once you pull a weed over here, you look back, there's one. Once you go over here to try to put this fire out and stamp this out and cover this up, you got something going here. Why? Because the inside's not clean. The heart has never been dealt with. Heart is where murders begin. The heart is where adultery originates. The heart is the seed from which all of our life comes. And if it's not clean, how can anything else that is subservient to it be clean? The picture is easy. The bowl. The solution is made easy. Quit cleaning the outside. Start cleaning the inside. How do we cleanse the inside of the bowl? Well, first of all, don't make any mistake about it. We can't do it ourselves. It's when you and I Come to that place in our life where we say, God, I've been playing a game. God, I've been wearing a mask. I've never truly been converted. There's no evidence of the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of me. 
God, there is no real substantial change towards Christ in my life. Everything I do from my attendance. Guys, let me remind you. These guys that Jesus called hypocrites. They prayed regularly. They tithed faithfully. They taught other people. They were faithful attendants in their worship services. They actually went out to make disciples of other people. If you would have looked at these people, you would have held them up on a moral pedestal. And yet Jesus in his firm rebuke says, no, no. They are not at all who they make themselves out to be. We have a problem. We see the solution. The solution is only saying, Jesus Christ, you have to come into my heart. You have to make me new. You have to wash me. I admit, God, that I'm dirty on the inside. I admit that I am full of hypocrisy and dead men's bones. Did you notice? They weren't partially full. There weren't a few drops. In every description, whether it was the bowl or the plate or the, uh, the, the tombs of the dead, Jesus used the term full. It was all the way up to here. They couldn't keep it contained anymore. It's going to find an outlet. What are the consequences? What are the consequences for the person that knows right here that they've been playing a game and they've been putting on, on a mask? That they're not really, they've never been converted and yet they've just been going along. What can they expect? What does that woe mean for them? It, what can they look, as they look down the corridor of time, what can they expect to see in their future if they go unconverted. Well, notice, if you would, verse 33. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Now, let me just, let me just hit the timeout button for a minute. Guys, I can think of no more horrible hell in my life than the hell of the hypocrite. Think with me for just a moment how awful that place must be for that person who on the outside has had a great religious run. Who should have received some nomination as a best supporting actor. Can you imagine how horrible that place of eternal fire and torment would be for them knowing that they had sat in pews faithfully? Knowing that they had probably taught lessons that they themselves had never accepted? That time and time and time again they had heard the pastor speak about the gospel and salvation of Jesus Christ? To know that they had sat in a worship service regularly and had sung praise to a God that they had never known. Can you imagine how horrible that hell must be for the hypocrite to know that they were that close 
to hear and to experience and to see Christ working in other people's lives while never trusting Him themselves and to know that they were literally but millimeters away from the gospel. And friends, they will have all eternity to roll it over if I would have only responded, if I would have only believed, if I would have only received. They will literally play that soundtrack for all eternity. What a different place that would be for the pagan out on the island that has never heard the name of Jesus Christ. What a different existence that will be for all eternity. Bad, no less. Don't get me wrong, still bad. There's no good hell. But for that person that has never heard the gospel, for that person that has only but maybe once in their life heard the sweetest name of all, Jesus Christ, can imagine that their hell would be nothing compared to the one who had heard it over and over again and had sung the most precious name and had taught the most precious lessons and had proclaimed the gospels jesus christ himself at the end of the sermon on the mount said not everyone who comes to me will say lord that says to me lord lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven And they will say, but we have prophesied in your name. We have cast out demons in your name. And Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Jesus is saying, it's not about what you've done. It's about who you are. It's not about the outside. It's all about the inside. And we get it backwards. So close to redemption, yet eternally far apart. What else can they expect in return in regards to consequences? Notice how this chapter ends. In verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Please listen carefully. How often I wanted to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You know what Jesus is saying? I have worked to bring you into safety. I have offered you divine security. Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem and saying, I have done everything that I can to reveal the kingdom of God, to reveal the love of the Father, and to bring you in as a mother hen places her chicks securely under her wings, providing and protecting them. But he ends it by saying, but you would not. It isn't just condemnation. But there's also destruction. Now make no mistake about this, friends. Though God is merciful, though He is loving and long-suffering, He does not have to provide Protection for those of us that want to be out of His care. 
he is not obliged to continue to offer that divine protection in our life if we have rejected his call, his will, or his salvation. Now, you may say, wait a second, Pastor, does this mean I can lose my salvation as a believer? No, no. If you're not a believer, God may be divinely protecting you. But he is not. He doesn't have to. That's an extension of his long suffering and mercy. For those of you that say, well, wait a second, Pastor, it sounds like what you're saying is if I turn my back on God, then he turns his back on me. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God has every right because he loves you as his children, that if we reject his will, if we willfully say, no, I, I think I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. He has every right to bring discipline on our lives and to remove that hand that was once holding back those forces that would bring punishment or discipline on our lives not condemnation but discipline for some it may be condemnation for us as believers god has every right to remove that hand of protection and allow those forces to come into our life not because we told him but because or not because he did it on his own but because we said i'm not i'm not willing i've had enough i don't i'm not interested in this i'm going to go my own way people do it all the time. For those of you that are still not yet convinced, let me remind you, Jesus is saying this to who? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. His own covenant people. He's speaking to His covenant people whom He promised to love. Whom He still had a plan and a purpose for. Guys, those words that Jesus spoke were not just instructive, they were prophetic. Some 35 years, some short 35 years after Jesus spoke those words, General Titus, by command of Rome, went in and sacked Jerusalem. AD 70, Jerusalem fell. When Jesus told the disciples, look up and see, you can see the beauty of the temple, but I tell you, Jesus said, that not one of those stones will be left on top of one another. He was prophesying of that day in AD 70, 35 years later. Jesus was making sure, you know what? I could have protected you. But you would not have it, so I'm stepping back. What's the third and final consequence? We've seen condemnation. We've seen destruction. And then he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. Desolation, friends. Condemnation, maybe. Destruction, maybe. Desolation. You know what desolation means? It means barrenness. It means fruitlessness. Now this is ironic, don't you think? That Jesus would speak to his own covenant people in the land flowing with milk and honey and saying, you know what, your place is going to be desolate. Did you know in AD 70 when they came in and sacked Jerusalem, they also sowed salt into the ground so that nothing would be able to grow in their lifetimes. They tried to make that soil in their hatred for the Jews and their bitterness. They tried to do their very best to make sure that nothing would grow in that fruitful land again. And Jesus is reminding us that if we are playing the role of a hypocrite, if our life is inconsistent, you may down here have accolades. 
The pastor may stand at the head of your casket and speak of all of the wonderful things you did. You may have plaques and things done in your memory and in your honor. You may have people stand up and testify of what a great teacher you were and how you impacted and influenced their life. And yet when you stand before God, you will realize that it was all hay, wood, and straw. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that what we build on that foundation is important. If we build wood, hay, and straw, it is going to burn for the day will declare it. But if we build on that foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, they will stand. You can have all of the praise and accolades and adoration of people down here, and yet in eternity, the great equalizer have absolutely nothing. You may be fruitful down here, but when it gets to where it really matters in eternity, you may have nothing. Eternity, friends, is the great equalizer. These men taught others. They faithfully attended church. They prayed long, beautiful prayers. They made disciples. They had religious speech. They tithed. They were meticulous in their religious observances. And yet Jesus said that they were full of hypocrisy and extortion and excess and stand throughout history as a testament of the lost soul let me ask you a very important several very important questions this morning as we look at our own heart this morning and say hey lord is it me hypocrisy can be a very sobering thought i want to ask you a few questions this morning where you are Do you sense that you are playing the part at church? Does your faith follow you home? Do you sense that when you get out of that car to come to church, you put the religious mask on, and when you get back in the car, you take it off? Are you the same person at church that you are at home or at your job or at your school? Is there a sense of of consistency in your life is there a sense evidence of an inward change in your life do you see things differently do you think differently do you feel differently not from the outside but simply from the inside recognizing something has changed do you regularly sorrow over sin have you sinned said something that you shouldn't have or done something that you shouldn't have and it broke your heart, not because you got caught, but because it broke God's heart. I want you to ask yourself those questions and if the answer is no, friend, I would much rather, I would much rather someone come down here this morning and say, Pastor, I want to make sure that I'm saved. Pastor, I'm afraid that I may be living a hypocritical life. And I want to make sure I got that squared away. Praise God. Some of you may say, if this is a message on hypocrisy, I'm not getting out of my seat. Because you feel if you get out of your seat, immediately everybody in this room is going to label you a hypocrite. You know what Jesus said the problem with the hypocrites was? That they did everything they did because they wanted it to be seen by men. They cared more about what men and women thought of them than what God thought of them this morning. And this morning, can you cast off those robes of hypocrisy? 
those filthy rags of hypocrisy and put on truly a robe of righteousness and say in your heart, God, I'm dealing with something that is greater than me. I'm dealing with my eternal soul and I cannot wait one more minute to find out, to make sure that my heart and my life is right with you when I before I leave these doors this morning.